Welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. And Adam, I have something to ask you. You do? We've been away for two weeks for listeners who listen every week. So uh, I'm very excited to hear what question you have for me. Hey, do you know which X-Men can see the color of your energy? (laughs) And vis-a-vis, is that color amber? (laughs) I'm going to guess the subject of our show this week, and that is iBoy. Adam, this is our 311th episode. I hope you know. Oh, amber is the color of your energy. Now, oh. imagine imagine <laughs> the film The Barbie Movie, but instead of pushed by Matchbox 20, they played Amber by 311. Not a 311 fan of my... Uh, oh, I'm not a 311 fan either. personal life. But, um, you know, hey... It is episode 311, so that was a solid bit. Congratulations. <laughs> I put, Adam, I thought about that a month ago when I wrote that down. <laughs> like, I'm going to forget this one. We're already doing iBoy, who can very legitimately see the color of your energy. Amongst other things. I mean, I we're going to learn this week. iBoy can see all kinds of things. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. I, I like iBoy. And do you Me? know who else Ooh. thinks, I think, likes iBoy? I'm guessing the person who requested this iBoy episode. Yeah, I'm going to guess Mike likes uh, iBoy. Uh, and if you want to be like Mike, which was a movie where I want to, th- who was the, I forget what the, Lil Bow Wow, I want to say, got <laughs> Michael Jordan sneakers and could play basketball just as good as him. Nice. If it wasn't Lil Bow Wow, I, sorry, I haven't thought about that movie until this exact moment it from the moment I saw it. Definitely was Bow Wow. Yes, who Man. I believe now co-stars on one of those CSI NCIS shows. So good for him. Hold on. What? Lil Bow Wow? Well, Bow Wow was um, also famously in Tokyo Drift. So um, oh, I'm making I, you, this up, right? You know, you know, I do not watch any of the Fast and Furious movies. Hey, was Lil Bow Wow in Fast 9? Yes, he he and several other people from Tokyo Drift did make a cameo in in Fast 9 which was a lot of fun. But what's the show he's on? He's got to be on something like he's like one of those. Right. Let's see what TV show is here. He was on CSI. (laughs) There it is. CSI cyber. He was on CSI cyber. Yeah. I don't think that's the most insane possible CSI. No, it lasted for two seasons. Okay. Okay. There you go. It was the last CSI show. Wow. Well, hey, at least he went out on a high note. I don't know. Um, just <laughs> I was flipping channels the other day, and I was like, "Hey, isn't that isn't that Bow Wow? Not Little Bow Wow, Bow Wow." See, this is this is the difference in my attention to pop culture because I have no idea that he was still an active participant in our. <laughs> I assume he was a child who got famous for a little bit and did that movie. And was not thought of ever since. Good for you, good for full size bow wow. Yeah, you just never know uh, what these agents will come up with. But uh, yeah, so we're talking about I Boy this week. I love I Boy and all of his many eyes. Yeah, but w- hold on, because we mm. have to jump back from the bow wow tangent. If you want to be like Mike, you can go over to patreoncom slash atom, reach deep down into your hearts and your pocketbooks, and toss a couple of coins into our coffers, uh, and then we'll do we'll do an episode. This is what we do. Y'all, right. it has been seven years, six, seven years that we've been doing this, Adam. I think you're you're jumping too far. Six years. It's been six years. It's six. Has it been six total? Yeah, 2017. It was start of August 2017. Dear God. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, man. So much has happened. There's <laughs> a lot. I had a kid uh, since I've had two kids since this show started. Hey, folks, by the way, if you want to know why we were gone for a couple of weeks, Adam was on vacation. I had a kid. So it was like, (laughs) we figured. (laughs) 
Yeah, we f- Adam's been Adam's been using his passport. Meanwhile, the Jenkins family has been adding a new member. So <laughs> amazing it's, stuff happening behind the scenes. And here. yet, somehow, while my wife was in labor, I found the time to read about iBoy. iBoy is um, it, he really is a mood lifter. You know what I mean? He's a happy, fun, kind of neurotic character, but um, he's like a real blast. I love him. I, I shouldn't like iBoy because I don't like like Shark Girl. I don't like iBoy. Mm-hmm. I like. What does that say about me? Not really sure. Um, I think it says that the writer of our first story may have taken this character and done a little bit of development to make them even more enjoyable. I think they did. And I, I do think that we are we'll talk about this, but I think this we we skip one important piece of the iBoy development puzzle in our coverage for this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to get to that eventually at some point, but you know, we're talking about generation X volume two, number five uh, by Christina strain and Alberto Albuquerque. Yeah. This is an well, iBoy solo like spotlight issue. It That's really weird. is. Yeah. It, uh, it has, um, you know, a fill in artist here for Amilcar Pinna, but um, gosh, this is a fun one, isn't it? Um, because <laughs> Jubilee is pushing iBoy to really test out what are the limits of his powers. Um, and iBoy is unfortunately finding out that, wow, his eyes do a lot more than he thought they did, huh? Yeah, his eyes are letting him see people's skeletons and nervous systems, <laughs> genitals. Yes. And... As we will find out later in this episode, Trevor is nothing but respectful. Uh-huh. He is quite upset about this development. <laughs> He's so embarrassed. Um, and, you know, he he's trying his best not to, you know, see what he shouldn't see. But at the same time, what is he supposed to do when all of the people around him start looking like uh, contour lines and skeletons? Like, there's there's not a lot he can do. With the exception of Nature Girl. Also getting some very uh, appreciated character development here because, you know, she is the one person that iBoy is really connecting to in this story. Yeah, they're becoming friends. They're trying to see what's going on. And wouldn't you know it, uh, there's a there's an animal missing. And well, there's a thieving hairless raccoon. A thieving raccoonist? Steve, yes, a Thievius Raccoonus, not named Sly Cooper. Nice. <laughs> I love that. Game. Are we all are we all glad about the failed two thousand? I say failed. They're just it's they don't make it anymore. But the two thousand era PS two Sly Cooper Thievius Raccoonus references that we're making here because I played that game somewhat. Let Here's me tell thing. you, I loved those games, and I would love to play another one. Bring it on, PlayStation. It was interesting because like. Sly Cooper and Jax came out for the PS2 yep. and they were like supposed to be the next generation of Crash and Spyro. Mm-hmm. Uh, you say that and the Ratchet and Clank comes out right after that. Love that game too. Uh, which plays into that. And I feel like Jax went in a completely different direction with sure the did. second game. Yeah, they went and it lost me. It lost me immediately when they wanted to be grim and gritty i was like these are the crash bandicoot people yeah <laughs> it was pretty weird i still played the hell out of that game too um, i did not i did not my dad did not purchase jacks two after fair. the demo he was like i've seen enough <laughs> uh anyway so we have thieving animals and um well unfortunately they are under the control of a villain Living in the sewers. Adam, had you also forgotten that the Rat King uh, was a direct tie in reference to the Thorg arc of Walt Simonson's Thor? It was Christina Strain saying, hey, wait, that's a great idea. I'm sad that the Morlock is dead, but maybe we can uh, just have another one. It's it's a lot of fun. I will say that as a um, OG Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan, I am deeply upset that this couldn't just be a crossover issue between 
the amazing Christina Strange Generation X and Tales of the TMNT, um, which feature one of my favorite TMNT villains, who is the Rat King, who is basically a guy who lives in the sewers, who's wrapped up like a mummy, uh, who controls all rats. But this is not that guy. I mean, it's not, but it's just everybody doing the same riff on the Pied Piper. And <laughs> yes, this guy is wearing uh, he's blue. He's wearing a crown and he has a little whistle. He has a little flute. Yeah, he's he's playing a recorder. You, you remember <laughs> them from fourth grade? Yes, he seems quite skilled and adept at it. But iBoy and uh, Nature Girl are able to foil the racking and... I don't know. Is this a friendship? Is it a burgeoning romance? What is it? What I you- always read it as a friendship, which yes. in this book was, I think, interesting because there was so much romance already. Mm-hmm. Like you had Chamber and you had Jubilee mm-hmm. and you had Hindsight and Morph mm-hmm. and you had whatever Quentin Choir was working through at the time. <laughs> You already had a lot of that built up. So I do think like Trevor having like a nice, innocent friendship with uh, Nature Girl was great, especially because Nature Girl was a character who before this run had not said a single word, which is truly an insane thing because that was an explicit choice they made to both highlight her and then have her not talk. It's it's fantastic that she is given agency here and she is really the person who is helping iBoy through this crisis, you know, and this is why I love this series so much. This particular run, because the character development is so, so strong. You know, you just fall in love with everybody and everybody has really good motivations. And uh, even if the adventure they're going on is a little bit slight and silly, I don't care because I care about these characters. Right. Now, Pina isn't on Amilcar Pina, who does the first or the chunk of the biggest chunks of this book, mm-hmm. is not on this issue. But instead, we have Alberto Albuquerque. How do you feel about the artwork? You know, I, I think that even though Amilcar is not doing this issue, um, I think Albuquerque is doing a pretty good job of at least maintaining the tone of the book. Right. Because well, Albuquerque, Albuquerque is kind of a weird looking artist. Like, Nowadays, or I guess for big X-Men fans, uh, you probably know him. He's been doing a lot in the Infinite Comics stuff. He mm-hmm. was doing uh, a lot of work for the uh, Charlie Jane Anders uh, New Mutants. And he's done a little bit in Marvel besides that. I know him best from the Zach Thompson, Emily Horn book, No One's Rose. Uh, that mm. was out from Vault a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, He did the art on that. You know, I like Albuquerque. He's a think, he's always a solid artist. And I think he flies a little bit under the radar. He's doing great work here. I think the the major thing that that uh, Amilcar always does is the um, very very extreme perspectives, right? And there's a couple of moments where Albuquerque plays around with that here in terms of eye boy and like the strain on his body and his eyeballs, and it, it works. I, I do think that, you know, if this issue were able to maintain the kind of camera angles that, that Pinna does, it would have amped up the story a little bit more. Um, yeah. But, but for what it is, I think it's a lot of fun. And I oh, enjoyed this the was, issue quite you know, a bit. This was Albuquerque's first uh, Marvel work. Oh, get out. Okay. Yeah. No, this first thing, first thing he did at Marvel. I Dang. don't know. I, I do not know what he was doing before this okay. uh, if he was like floating around uh, at some other places, but you know what? Pretty, pretty solid. I would, I would love to uh, see what else he was doing, but we unfortunately have no record of any, what any, Oh wait, no, he did letter 44 with Charles soul. Oh, okay. All right. So yeah, he was doing stuff. I was saying that we don't have the comics DB anymore where you could just look up this mm. and that's, that's the biggest that shame, shame in the world. Yeah. But, uh, as far as a Marvel debut, um, pretty solid work from Albuquerque. Pretty solid Marvel debut, honestly. Yeah. So this is a lot of fun. I think we should rank it on our big old list. Well, that's the thing about this podcast and Adam, I'm glad you brought it up because we do mm. have a big old list. 
Uh, by the way, I think the biggest thing he was known for before this was doing some work on Skull. Or no, nothing. Uh, he did some Letter 44, uh, but that was until after this. So this is like, of American comics, Adam? This was his sixth comic oh, that wow. he did hey. in American comics. Honestly, work, son. Not bad. Good work. Six? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a big old list though. That's the thing that you were just saying. That's the guys, that's the that's the bit on this podcast. You know that. We're ranking all the X-Men stories from best to worst. We've ranked 807 X-Men comics at this point. Uh from best to worst, with the best story being the House of X Powers of 10, number 100 being Wolverine uh, 48 to 50, the Shiva scenario, number 200 being giant size little Marvel AVX, number 300 being the 2019 Uncanny X-Men annual. What was that one? I don't remember. No, that's the one where Cyclops comes back to life. Actually, that's a good one. That's oh, why it's number yeah. 300. Person, right? What's that? Yeah, that's person. That one's good. Number 400 is Spider-Man 2099 Exodus Volume 1, number 5. Number 500 is Uncanny X-Men Volume 4, 1 through 5, Survival of the Fittest. That's Buncanny. Yeah. Number 600 is Alpha Flight 106. Hey, I read a book that referenced and talked at length about Alpha Flight 106 recently. A piece of piece of fiction what are we talking about here no like it was uh it was a memoir by christian cooper oh uh, christian cooper's book yeah 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 talking about a lot of, uh better living through birding i think it was called oh. a lot of stuff including how after they made that issue all of editorial had to get put into a room and be told hey um i get it you guys are cool and you live in new york city which is cool but the rest of the country is Freaking out because you made a superhero gay. So we're never going to do that again. Oh, my God. Babies. Which is which is why the follow-up North Star miniseries and Until Chuck Austin, North Star, just doesn't mention that he's gay. Ridiculous. Which is insane. The one thing that I did learn that's also a fun anecdote from that is that the uh, Catholic Church wanted to make a big, like, publicity thing against Marvel over this whole thing. Really? Uh but didn't. Do you know why? Uh, I don't know. Because Marvel published the life story of John Paul. Oh, no. John Paul II. Legitimately, they were like, well, we've worked with these guys in the past. This, you know what? This is going to be messy. Let's just not. Wait, but that happened way before that. That's an yeah. 80s publication, right? Yeah. So they yeah. So they said, well, they they put this out. So we're, you oh know what? We're going to call them good. Ridiculous insane insane that that happened number 700 is x-men war number 800 is uncanny x-men holy war number 807 is the worst x-men story of all time 2099 where does tomorrow nice um we got some gen x on here yeah we have the first two issues of this run at 272 and we have the auction issues six to seven at 318 i think we're somewhere in between those two because i don't think this is good as the first two issues but i think this is better than the auction issues this is, yeah, this is between those two. Wait, where do we have, have we ranked the last arc of Gen X? We have. Um, that's higher. That is at, hold on. I just had it. Ooh. That's at 184. Thank you. You know, it one. I think this is between 184 and 272, because I think this is a better, even though I like Pina's art, mm-hmm. I think this is a better story than those first two issues which are pretty uneven okay well it's that's all set up whereas this is like very solid character development this Um, is actual story happening yeah how would you compare it to 255 which is the hellions um arc that we funny games yeah last last time we had an episode i was about to say last week but it wasn't it wasn't i would i would put it below funny games but above power pack 20 at 257 which is Uh, that mini inferno (laughs) yeah uh okay so that just leaves x-men number 70 homecoming at 256 the one where where maggot eats a bomb that's inside of cyclops yeah that's better isn't it (laughs) yeah that's better (laughs) okay so this is gonna be our new 257 generation x volume 2 number 5 Great Terry Dodson cover. I didn't mention that earlier. Following this up, we have what is probably the height of iBoy's popularity in the modern era, which is hard to 
put as any other era because iBoys only existed for like a decade. <laughs> He's still relatively new, um, but we did see him featured as a regular team member in Leah Williams uh, volume four of X Factor, um, which was sort of the Krakoan rebirth of X Factor investigation. So next up is we're covering issues one to three and number five. A uh, couple things. First, Leah's a friend of the show. Like, mm-hmm. yep. take, take our, take, I can't speak for Adam. Take my criticism as what you will. Uh, <laughs> I may be a bit biased. That's fine. Number two. Yeah, number two. I was going to say we aren't covering number four of this arc because we talked about it during Ten of Swords. It's tie mm-hmm. into that. And I actually think that is a very present thing about this run, uh, having this split up, because this is the start of Krakow and X Factor. And it's it's a book that I really enjoy, but especially going back, this is where I can start to see the structural needs of the Marvel machine imposing what it has to be to be a company on the Krakoa line. Mm. Like this is, this is the moment where I immediately, where I can pinpoint very clearly and see, Oh, this is, this has been compromised for other things where at the beginning, I'm not saying editorial wasn't involved because that's not reasonable or true. But there was a year of we're playing around. Sure, sure. I what? Um, all right. So let's set up the book, and then I, I want to come back to what you were just talking about because I think there's a a really interesting uh, contrast between this book and where it starts, and even maybe to where we're at now. So um, X Factor Investigations, Leah Williams is writing. David Baldian is doing amazing art with uh, Israel Silva on colors. Fantastic work, David. Yeah. So the book is, um, the premise is relatively simple. North Star senses that his twin sister Aurora has died, um, but he has no proof of it. So he goes to the five and demands resurrection. Well, the five is very busy. So what are they supposed to do if they don't have proof of death? Heck, hence, we have the creation of the new version of X-Factor Investigations, which consists of Prodigy, iBoy, uh, Rachel Summers, Polaris, Dakin, and Northstar, right? And yes. then later Aurora. And Amazing Baby. And Amazing Baby, yes. The werewolf pup that was given to Rachel during... Excalibur. Uh, Excalibur, thank you. Her girlfriend uh, gave her it. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Um, they all live in this t- Krakoan Polaris built tower known as the Boneyard, um, which is named because Dakin thinks it looks like a specific something. And uh, <laughs> it does. It does. It does. Um, and their first case is to figure out what happened to Aurora. But this also leads them to investigate another murder um, that happens in the Mojo verse. So, wow, what a book. This is like one of the strongest number one debuts that you could possibly have. I mean, it kills number, page one. Number one, number one kills very hard. Yeah. It has to do a lot. Mm-hmm. This is not a small team, and it's not a team that is filled with all-stars Polaris is the biggest like Polaris and Rachel Summers are the biggest names on this team. Sure. That's not um, a lot of firepower for a book. No, but that being said, Leah is doing a couple of things here that are kind of heavy lifting, right? Like not only is X factor coming together, but this is kind of a covert book about the five and what's going on with them and how they're interacting with the Island and their job and the quiet council. So there is, and now on top of that, she builds this completely new version of Mojo verse that is based on social media and Twitch live streams. um, That is something we've never seen before that works really well. There's a lot going on here, but you know, I I do want to at least highlight that first issue because I think you're right. This first issue is structurally very, very sound. It mm-hmm. has to do a complete mystery. And like, 
highlight everybody's abilities, give everybody a reason to be a part of this mystery, which it does. It has to give you a heads up on all these characters and who they are, not just what they can do, which it does really well, including characters like Polaris, who explicitly state in here and said, hey, Dad, Magneto, how would you describe me? And he's like, I am. Uh, she's like, yeah, yeah, you know, no, that's, <laughs> listen, you're not a good dad, but that's not a you problem Yeah. on this one. This particular one's not just on you. It's, it's very clear that Leah has an exceptional handle over every single one of these characters with, I don't want to say the exception, but her update, I'm going to use the word update, her modernization of Dakin. And the way in which that character is now brought into a a heroic stance, as opposed to what we've been familiar with before, I think is probably the biggest change that you might see character wise in this book. But iBoy, who is the center of our focus, um, is just plum adorable as this sort of you know, go lucky, happy guy to the point where it's commented on by Dakin, like, oh, this is a shtick, right? Like, obviously, iBoy must have like, you know, ill intentions. And this is all just an no, that's his deal. His deal is that he is like a genuinely good, kind person who's there to help. He's he's putting he's putting gibbets on his crocs when we first see him. It's very <laughs> <Yes>. funny. <laughs> uh, it's a good page. Yeah. Uh, they get together, they solve the Aurora mystery, which is sort great. Of, sort of. They they solve a lot of it. Yes. They get Aurora back. That's the big thing. Yes. We don't know the... There, there's an added component of this that Leah is setting up additional things, right? Yeah. And if, if longtime listeners remember, Leah had big plans for this book, right? Like, she was thinking a run. Um, unfortunately, and this... frankly, frankly, everybody when they were kicking off this era of X-Men books yeah. was thinking of a expansive amount of titles. You see that in what, what Percy continues to do since, yep. you know, what, this is nothing against Percy's qualities or other, but Percy got some pretty big name titles that were yes. going to can, as long as he could keep them at sales expectations, we're going to have a lot more runway. And the expectation was that all the books would Marauders, you know, kept going for a while under Jerry until he had to switch. And they kept that that title going, even though it was a new title. That's crazy. Uh, Excalibur kept going and going through a couple of different relaunches, you know, to try and at least wrap up that story somewhat before Howard left. Like that's a there. There's a run there. Everybody was expecting to have space. Yes. And have time and have an ability. And, you know, this was the first book, you know, we go back to listen to some of the interviews. This was the first book to really get canceled of the line. And there's a lot that goes into it, especially from a timing standpoint. COVID kicks off mm-hmm. and that decimates Marvel for a very long time. And it impacts this book. If you look at just the, the five issues we're talking or the four issues we're talking about. Between July 29th and September 9th, three issues of this book come out. Yep. The next issue of this story doesn't come out until three months later in December. That you've you've already shaken you've shaken up everything because now you've already broken it. And I get it. They were fighting for their lives on a publishing schedule. But for that to happen so early in a book's career, you're you're starting on a bad foot. That yeah. sucks. And that's you know, that's part of the things that it makes you feel like okay, now that now that the machine is running a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's a real shame because, you know, there we're not going to get into the controversy of how this book ended, but we're we've seeing, already done enough on that. We have, but they there they've been seeding. Uh, Leah is seeding all of these different mysteries. Like what was Aurora doing when, you know, she was in this time place that she died, you know, what did, Oh, prodigy was dead. Like that's why he has his powers back. There's all this really cool stuff about, you know, Shatterstar and spiral in the um, mojo verse. Yeah. The mojo verse is being these like streamers who are under, under the mojo versus control. Um, I mean, as a mojo verse fan, this take on it is brilliant to me. It's um, great. 
little things like arise and shine, you know, and, and the Adam X, the extreme podcasting channel. I mean, it's just so it's smart. It's funny, but it also has sort of like a, a, a twin peaks esque, you know, detective story of just, we're going to do some detective work and it's going to be powers based, you know, I obviously, I don't know why Twin Peaks is not really a detective story. I don't know why I said that, but like Rachel using chrono skimming, for instance, yes. you know, like little things like that, where the, the team is coordinating their powers in smart ways that help advance solving the mystery, I think is probably my most favorite part of the book. There is so much going on in this book, and I think that can be to its benefit and to its detriment. And I don't know how much was, you know, ready and set in stone of, oh, you have to tell this in this many issues or what before things happened. But it does feel like in this, there is a rush to get to a conclusion at the end of three, Mm -hmm. which forces you to do all of this mojo stuff in two issues and really only in one, because I would, I would, I'm going to say put money down, but like issue two was done before they were running into COVID's a yes. big thing. Like yes. that was already, I can tell you that was already done folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so three is where you start to feel it. And three is very compressed. There is a lot of stuff. There's a lot of the dialogue is doing the work for you. Cause it has to get from where they left off of we're starting a mojo world arc to we're pretty much completing this mojo. World arc. <laughs> right. And so then, that then doing the, you- yeah, so that goes to Ten of Swords so yeah. that they can have at least a story told and so that the rest of it, that last issue, number five, is a denouement yeah. to all of this. It yeah. is it's a lot. It is a lot because the Mojo World thing, for those who don't know, Wind Dancer from last episode when we said we didn't know which one was Wind Dancer. She's the brunette. She she is. I wouldn't be able to remember again. Uh <laughs> She is in the Mojo verse and thinks that the only way to get out is by giving them what they want. And that is Adam X killing her live on camera uh, with a gun, mm-hmm. which is brutal and like hard. And yes. it's a lot. And also like, you know, you get that. Hey, yeah, this Mojo world's a fun, funny place for most of these issues. But then also every one of these entertainers is under Mojo's control and trapped and they cannot escape. Shatterstar is like depressingly sad, even as he is doing uh, wrestling moves. Uh huh. You can tell, you know, there's that great moment where Polaris asks him if he can speak freely and he answers no in Kirk Cohen. It's, it's fantastic stuff. I, I think Lee is the wrestler that he's doing the moves of uh, Randy Orton. He's doing some Randy Orton stuff. Yeah, no, got... I think he's no, he's dressed like Randy Orton, but doing the moves of or doing some moves of uh, uh, the American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes. Okay, I don't know my one of the two. Well. I listen. I only know it because our friend Charlie may have provided some wrestling hints and suggestions. <laughs> Who would better to ask? I, don't know. I I do think Leah is at her best. Back to the tone of the book when the lighthearted humor aspects and the character development are mixed with horror elements. You know, we saw this to great effect in the exterminators miniseries where, you know, you have a horror thing going on, but then it's, it's contrasted by this lighthearted humor. And I think Baldion is a great artist for this book. I just wonder if it connected with, with readers um, well, for that's, me, that's the it was a it was a dream. You know, I think what he's doing is incredible. But I think Baldion's great. But again, if someone told me they thought his art was ugly, I'd say, I think you're wrong. But I understand why this is, it is not cookie cutter house style. Well, that's why I appreciate it. You know, and it has a, a cartoonish bent to it that contrasts really strongly with some of the like darker horror elements of like Windancer's death you know, or, or any of the characters deaths. Well, um, yeah. And that, I think that juxtaposition is super necessary for the Mojo world stuff to land. Yeah. I think th- the challenge with it is it very much is a, and we're going to get back to this story. Yes. Which happens in like four pages later because the book has to wrap up. It's right. a, 
it's a disappointment, but it, you know, that's the nature of the beast sometimes. Yep. Uh, I think you're spot on with the dialogue working really, really well. I do think some of the expositionary stuff that has to get crammed in there doesn't let the rest of the arc live up to how good it could be. And that's sure. disappointing for me. Yeah. Great things about this book. I'm in it. Oh, I forgot. Yes. You are, <laughs> you are in issue five. No, issue I'm in, no, I'm three. in issue two. I'm in issue two when they have to go and get vo- voted into being yes. in uh mojo world. And they, Leah frames it as like a comment chat of all this stuff. And I say me fun fact. Uh, the other fun fact is most of the other names are the names of people's animal crossing islands. Love it. Uh, from new horizons that I was friends with. Uh, <laughs> and it was, it was, there's a group of people. Anyway, I asked Dakin to uh, show his penis to the crowd. You did uh, as show triple Xavier files. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, one of the funniest things to happen to me in comics. Love it. You're canon. You know, you're you're there. But I'm canon in so many things now. Yes. You know, before keep, keep going. before you know, some some would say that the bad boys of X-Men podcasting. The bad boy, I'm sorry, you're a good boy, Adam. I don't want to I don't want to put you under the bad boy spell. Thank you. Uh but someone say that the bad boy of X-Men podcasting was doing it for a while and getting in there and telling people in the chats, yeah, whip it out, whip it out, whip it out, character that I explicitly disliked until this book. <laughs> it's very frustrating. Whip it out character that was replaced or replaced maggot in this lineup. Whip it out. Oh boy. It's fun. And I like it. Uh, there was one other thing I wanted to say and I forget what it is. Hmm. Oh wait. Cause Shatterstar is doing wrestling. He's in yes. his attitude era too. Can I get a hell? Yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, we we're still in our attitude era people. That's it's right. Been, we're, we're catching up. <laughs> Long story short. I think X factor is really charming and fun and i like all the characters but going back to it and reading it in like a chunk i am able to see where like where things have had to be stitched together and repaired and make work you know sure i uh love this book i love the artwork i love the character development and i wish that it had had the time to breathe to let it really be what it wanted to be that said, I don't think it's hitting the heights of other Krakoan era stuff, especially from the first two years. So I would agree, but I would say I think it's better than the story we just talked about. At, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. At, at two fifty-seven, I don't think it's as good as Ewing and Sheedy's Storm. That's at seventy-seven, or not Storm Sword. That's at seventy-seven. Oh. And I'm just scrolling down Krakoa era things. Uh. Do, do, do. Not as good as X Men Black Emma Frost. That's at one ten. It's not. Not. I think. I think we're in the two hundreds here. Well, let's see. What's at two hundred right now? I think this is better than Giant Size Little Marvel AVX. Let's see. How far up would we go here? It's better than Psych Wars at one ninety seven. It's better. It's better than that. I would. Here's where I would looking at this now that I'm rolling. Scrolling, I think we're about in. We're kind of in the right spot. Like, I don't think this ends up being as tight as a story as Extremists at one fifty one, but I do think this is better than Gillen's Sword uh, from an art standpoint. Honestly, just to play devil's advocate, what's your take? Better or worse than Assault on Weapon Plus at one eighty two? This isn't better than Assault on Weapon Plus. You're right. Okay. See. Um, no, you're, you're right. You're right. I would put it above X-Men Black Apocalypse at 188. I would as well. Um, I think we're on par with at 184, the last arc of Christina Strange Generation X, but I would actually give that the advantage. I think I would too. Let's put it below that above Kitty's fairy tale. Great. So this is going to be our new 185 Leah and Baldion's X factor one, two, three, and five. And we've got one last iBoy story for you. Um, this is Wolverine and the X-Men volume one, number 29. This is called keys to the future. It's kind of a denouement from a savage land story that happened right before this, uh, involving dog Logan. Oh, dog Logan, the brother you never knew Logan had and or needed. <laughs> never needed. He's not, but he's, he's also not his brother. He's just some kid that was hanging out. 
Because yeah. remember, he was he was the fake Wolverine, uh, or one of the fake Wolverines. Because you think Logan is the groundskeeper who's a drunk and all this stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and then really he's the dainty boy in right. games. Right. Wolverine's mad at Dog because Dog's been doing time traveling thanks to <laughs> astonishing wolf- Spider-Man and Wolverine. Yeah, he's got the diamond bat or the crystals from yeah. the diamond bat, right? The the, the thing. He goes and he does some savagely stuff. It doesn't matter. What matters is Wolverine's mad and then makes a time capsule. Yes. Uh, so he's just gotten back from this this multi-issue uh, field trip with the kids and has gathered every cast member you can think of from Wolverine and the X-Men onto the lawn. Um, you'd think it's like a graduation ceremony, but they're just doing this silly little time capsule. Um, okay, but... Uh- this is just so we know, because I'm going to have to do this bit real quick after this or yep. in a second from Adam. This is from Jason Aaron uh, with pencils by Ramon Perez. Oh, yes. Yeah, this is definitely a Jason Aaron comic um, because the kids fill the time capsule. Did any did any piece of the time capsule scream? This is a Jason Aaron comic to you. Uh, let's see. So the kids are putting in a <laughs> yes. It's when Jason Aaron puts in a Bible because ID doesn't believe in God anymore. Yes. Uh, this is It's real. just, I've had people give me a hard time about that. It's just funny that it keeps happening, Jason. Hey, uh, Edie needed a little bit of motivation before she went off to join the Hellfire kids for the Hellfire saga, which takes place over the next couple issues. Anyway, so what's notable about this issue is not the beginning when they put the time capsule in the grounds. It is that the second half of the issue takes place 25 years later, which supposes that the Jean Grey school is still in operation and Wolverine has dug the capsule back up and is digging through it. And and, he's like, what in the world is this? Yep. And to figure this out, he does need to go to the floating sentinel head in the sky that is manned by none other than... I boy. Uh, I man. You're right. It's I man. I man's there. He's a super, super, super strong, super cool guy. And, you know, this was because I've had kind of been a joke character in Aaron's run up to this point. So this is his idea of like, hey, look, this is a cool new character now. Yeah. And the I man that we see here is pretty great. Right. Um, he doesn't look that different from like a Sam Guthrie covered in eyeballs, but he is basically monitoring the entire planet all by himself with this sentinel head, right? And and his monitors that are surrounding his body. Um, and we get to a point in the story where he basically just shows off the fact that, well, I don't know if he's covered in symbiote or what, but he just flies off into space. All of his he's eyes got, like, turn a suit. red. Yeah. Um, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> Like high boy here showcases the fact that, Oh, right. This character is actually going to be awesome. You know, after he grows up and isn't just like a goofy doofus anymore. Right. Uh, I like him. He's nice. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But this is kind of like a nothing issue, right? Well, I, I love issues like this because they are speaking of the time capsule, right? That they put into the ground. This is very much a time capsule of Jason Aaron's era, right? This era of X-Men because whenever you have a current X-Men writer that is asked to then write about the future of X-Men, it inevitably is still just a, an extension of what they're doing at that exact moment. And so it's not particularly imaginative about what that future looks like. It's just, everybody's older and all of the kids of the X-Men go to the Jean Grey school. Right. Right. What is kind of fun is, you know, moments where, you know, Jason Aaron is kind of like having the older Logan talk about warning the past about upcoming things. Right. He says the Hellfire Academy and the damn siege, Azazel and his pirates, So we're already getting up through Hellfire Saga and the Amazing X-Men run, right? Yeah. The Black Order, that butcherous Mondo, 
Sabretooth's secret plan, the new brotherhood, the apocalypse crusade, Gene. You know, so it's it's a little window into like what's going in Jason Aaron's head as to like what would be coming next in X-Men for the future. Even okay, if Okay, yes, but he is just talking about the next year of his book for the most part. Exactly. He's almost he's, all of those things are the next year of stuff that he is writing. And that's why it's funny, right? Is because, you know, whatever he's talking about is just limited to like what's already, you know, in, in the works as opposed yeah. to like, this is supposed to be 25 years in the future, um, which in Marvel's sliding timeline is like, God, can you even imagine? So anyway, uh, future Feels like Logan he mentioned Krakoa. I mean, Krakoa's in this book. Krakoa is in this book. That's true. Everyone yep. forgets that Krakoa was just hanging out as the X-Men's lawn for a little bit. Is it the same Krakoa? We don't know. That's unclear. No, it's not. We, in fact, we do know that it is not the same Krakoa because that Krakoa was a clone thing created by, I want to say, Max Frankenstein. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Anyway, future Logan sends past Logan back the key that can open dog's box that can't be opened. And in the box is a toy sailboat that they used to play with, I guess, when they were kids. And Hellfire Gang. Ramon Perez gets to paint some of the stuff. Yeah, it's that's pretty. nice. Yeah, I think the art in this is really nice. Um, you know, I remember when this issue came out and I, I really enjoyed it, um, but it is such a time capsule of not to harp on that, but it's such a moment in time. Uh, it's of, a of this it's book. so tightly wound on that moment. Yeah. And this book is not going to last for that much longer, right? Because after this, right. we've got the Hellfire Saga and then maybe what, like one other arc? Because this book is over by 42. So it's it's only got another year and then it's Kaputnik. But, you know, I like it. I think it's a, I think it's a good arc. It's enjoyable. It's enjoyable. It's and fine. it showed, you know, it's what just... I, I boy could be. Is it like mind blowing? No. In fact, the fact that... Most of the issue is just a speech by Logan. There's no need for that, really. They're they're putting no, a time really, capsule in the ground. <laughs> like there's really not. Yeah, like I love. I always love it when when Logan has to give a speech and he's always like, "Man, I hate public speaking. It's the worst." And you're like, "Yeah, but you're, you're certainly doing several pages of it here, sir. Slow your roll." I think this is the worst of the stories we've talked about today, though. No, I I fully fully agree. Where would you where would where would you put it compared to some of the other uh, Wolverine and the X-Men stories that we have? Uh, let's see. We do have uh, 37 to 39 down at 375. And that is the Pepe Larraz new students arc. And that arc's better than this. I think that's probably better. And that's probably the lowest. I do think this is better than anything from volume two. Which is all oh, yeah. volume two, volume two, trash garbage. Yeah. So, um, at 400, we currently have Age of X Aftermath in X Men Legacy. Wait, do we really have that Pepe Larraz arc below the Hellfire Academy or the Hellfire Saga? Wow. Um, what, where's Hellfire Saga? It's like 200 something. It's that high? Yeah. Also, the that's kind of out of we have so all of our. All of our Wolverine and the X-Men things are interestingly placed. I'll yeah. just say that. I don't know if I agree with ourselves on almost <laughs> anything about it. that. Dupe issue is really good. Hey, uh, just search where Madripoor Knights is on the list and you'll see how flawed we are. <laughs> Listen, sometimes <laughs> we can only do a re-ranking once every five years. So. so be patient is what you're telling me. I Yes, this isn't as good as... Colossus God Country. Nope. Or X-Men 29 and 9 Oasis. No. I don't even think it's as good as the time Cannonball flights, fights Gladiator down at 390. It's not as good as the Saladin Ahmed Exiles, because that one's just pretty. Yeah, um, I agree. Hey, time capsules. Is this better or worse than X-Men Gold 2013, the one shot celebrating the X-Men's 50th anniversary um, 10 years ago? I don't know. Nope. It's probably not as good. Uh, is this better? Than, this is better than Schism, though. Yeah, yeah. Let's put this between Schism and that Magneto arc. Yeah, that Magneto arc of Axis is better than this. So this is at four oh seven. Wolverine and the X Men 
number 29. And iBoy, pretty good showing. Not bad. I like him. And I if did. you like iBoy, you can uh, listen to this episode again. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Adam, what do you got going on? Uh, folks can always follow me on social. I'm on Blue Sky at Adam Rec, Instagram at Adam.Rec. And I'm still on whatever Twitter is now at Arthur Stacy. I am also on this past Saturday's episode of Gosh Golly Wow. I am filling in for Andrew. And we are talking about an issue of Excalibur where Colossus is doing abstract expressionist painting to Prodigy's Firestarter. And yep. it's a very fun episode because it allows me to talk about my strange collision of 90s interests all at the same time. So um, I'll be posting that on socials. Make sure you check that episode and every episode of Gosh Golly Wall out. It's great. Never try and find me. Yeah, don't. never try and find Don't Zach. do it. Don't, don't do, do it. I know some of you have. Don't do it. Oh, no, we don't want that. Boo. <laughs> Folks, uh, I want to thank Mike uh, for being a Patreon supporter. If you want to be like Mike again, patreon.com slash Atom. Next week, Adam, do you know what we're talking about? I don't know, Sugar. What are we talking about? Talking about Rogue, y'all. All right. Yeehaw, ride him, cowboy. <laughs> uh, and if you think we're going to talk about good Rogue stories, I don't know. Maybe we will. Actually, no, that's, maybe maybe two out of three are good. And I suggested, maybe I suggested a lot of bad Rogue stories. And Adam <laughs> told me we couldn't just do some of the worst X-Men stuff for an hour. <laughs> Until then, folks, this has been Bally Adam. We hope you survive the experience. Get it!